Chapter 16 of Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. Chapter 16 Back with the Army. Ryan remained four days in the flat occupied by Don Alonso Santabel. Leon Gonzalez had left before daybreak to regain the house where he was staying, with one of his friends, before the discovery of the escape of a prisoner was made. The affair was certain to cause great excitement, and there was no doubt that everyone leaving the town would be strictly examined at the gates, and not improbably every house would be searched, and an order issued that no one would be allowed to be out at night after ten o'clock without a military pass. Three soldiers had been in turn assassinated, and one had deserted, a prisoner had been released, and there were evidently several persons concerned in the matter, and it would not improbably be guessed by the authorities that the actors in the plot were agents of the British officer in command of the troops that had given them such trouble over the whole province between Burgos and Salamanca. Don Alonso gave his manservant, on whose fidelity he could rely, permission to go into the country for ten days to visit his relations, and Ryan was installed in his place, and dressed in a suit of his clothes, but was not to open the door to visitors, the Spaniard himself doing so, and mentioning to those who called that the servant had gone on his holiday. The French, indeed, instituted a strict search among the poorer quarters, but the men who had accompanied Don Leon were all dressed as villagers, who had come into the town from fear of being attacked by the guerrillas and their allies, and as the people with whom they stayed all vouched for their story, and declared with truth that they were relatives, none of them were molested. For four days all persons passing out of the gates were examined, but at the end of that time matters resumed their ordinary course, and Don Leon and his followers all quitted the town soon after the market closed, carrying with them empty baskets, as if they were countrymen who had disposed of the produce they had brought in. Clothes of the same kind were procured for Ryan, and the day after his friends had left, he too went through the gate, going out with several peasants who were returning home. One of Leon's followers had taken out his uniform in his basket, with a cloth thrown over it, on which were placed some articles of crockery which he had apparently bought for the use at home. Ryan had been carefully instructed as to the road he should follow, and four miles out from the city he turned down a bypath. He kept on for a mile and a half, and then came to a farmhouse standing alone. As he approached, Leon came out to meet him and shook him warmly by the hand. "'I have been feeling very anxious about you,' he said. "'We got through yesterday unquestioned, but the officer at the gate today might have been a more particular sort of fellow, and might have taken it into his head to question any of those who came out. The others all went on at once, but we will keep quiet until nightfall.' I left my horse here when I came in, which I could do safely, for the farm belongs to me, and the farmer has been our tenant for the last thirty years. There is a horse for you here also. I have got the latest intelligence as to where the French are lying. They have a strong force at Tordesillas, but this won't matter to us, for I got a message from Ras yesterday saying that the hills are now all covered with snow, and that the whole force would march today for their old quarters in the valley near Miranda. So we shan't have to cross the river to the north, but we'll keep on this side and cross it at Miranda, or at some ford near. The column now is operating round Zamora, 
fell back behind the Esla a fortnight since, for four thousand of the French reinforcements of the south had reached Zamora, and strong parties of their cavalry were scouting over the whole of the country round. Ryan had already heard how the road between Valladolid and Burgos had been interrupted, and several convoys cut off and captured. He was glad to find, however, that no serious fighting had taken place while he had been a prisoner. After nightfall, they started on their journey. They traveled sixty miles that night. The farmer's son, a young fellow of twenty, who knew the country thoroughly, accompanied them on horseback for the first twenty miles, to set them on their way. The road they followed ran almost parallel to the Tormes, all the bridges over that river being, as they learned, held by strong parties of French troops posted there to prevent any bodies of the Spaniards crossing it and placing themselves between Salamanca and Ciudad Rodrigo. When morning broke, they were within five miles of the Duro, and entered the wood where they intended to pass the day, as they were unaware whether any French troops were stationed along the river. Both were still dressed as countrymen, and Leon went in the afternoon to a little hamlet half a mile from the wood. There he learned that two thousand French were encamped at a village a mile from the bridge of Miranda but one of the peasants, on Leon's telling him that he was a lieutenant of Moras, offered to guide them to a ford, of whose existence he did not think the French were aware. It was seldom used, as it could only be forded in very dry seasons, but as the water now was, it would only be necessary to swim their horses a distance of a few yards. The two friends slept a great part of the day, and as the sun set, finished the provisions they had brought with them, and were ready to start when two hours later their guide arrived from the village. His information proved correct. He led them straight to the ford, which they found unguarded, and rewarding him handsomely for his trouble, swam across, and an hour later, entered Miranda and put up at a small inn. They mounted early the next morning, and in the afternoon, after a three hours' ride across the mountains, came down into the valley, where their arrival excited much enthusiasm among the troops the garrison having been joined by McWitty's column. "'I cannot say that I was expecting to see you, Captain Ryan,' as he shook hands heartily, "'for I heard from the colonel that Don Leon had started with a party to try and get you out of prison, and that he was sure he would accomplish it, if it were at all possible. I am expecting him here in a day or two with the rest of the regiment, for I had a message two days ago from him saying that it was too cold to remain in the hills any longer.' and that he should start on the day after the messenger left. Of course the messenger was mounted, but our man cannot march as far in a day as a man can ride, and are sure to lose no time. They would take the Leon road for some distance, then strike off and cross the upper isla at Melorga, follow the road down, avoiding Benevente, cross the Terra at Viga, take the track across the mountains, and come down into the valley from above. He said that he should only bring such stores as they would be able to carry on the march, and that he hoped to get here before the French were aware that he had left the mountains. Late in the afternoon, Leon's followers arrived. They had traveled at night so as to avoid being questioned by the French cavalry, who were scattered all over the country. Ryan was glad to see the men who had risked so much for him, and very pleased to be able to exchange his peasant's clothes for his uniform. The next morning, he and Leon mounted and rode by the track by which Terence would arrive, and met him halfway between Villa and the camp. The greeting was a hearty one indeed, and as Ryan shook hands with Moraz, he said, 
I cannot tell you, senor, how much I am indebted to Don Leon for the splendid way in which he managed my rescue. Nothing could have been more admirably contrived or better carried out. It certainly seemed to me, after I had been there a day or two, that a rescue was simply impossible. Though I knew that Colonel O'Connor would do his best to get me out, as soon as he learned that I was captured. I gave you the credit for better sense, Dick, than to ride right into the hands of the French, Terence said as he and Ryan rode on together at the head of the column. I think you would have done it yourself, Terence. The night was dark, and I could not see ten yards ahead of me. If they had been on the march, of course I should hurt them. But by bad luck, they had just halted just across the road I was following. It was very fortunate that you put all the numbers wrong in your dispatches, and I could tell you it was a mighty comfort for me to know that you had done so, for I should have been half mad at the thought that they had got your real strength, which would have entirely defeated the object of our expedition. As it was, I had the satisfaction of knowing that the capture of the dispatches would do more good than harm. Did the man who followed me get through? Yes, he kept his eyes open, Dickie, Terence said. He returned ten days later with a letter from the adjutant general, saying that the commander-in-chief was highly satisfied with my reports, and that the forward movement of the French had ceased, and at several points their advanced troops had been called in. Spies had brought news that ten thousand men under General Duroux had marched for Salamanca, and that reports were current in the French camp that a very large force had crossed the frontier at the northeastern corner of Portugal, with the evident design of recovering the north of Lyon and of cutting the main line of communication with France. He added that he trusted that I should be able to still further harass the enemy and cause him to send more reinforcements. He said that doubtless I should be very shortly driven back into Portugal again, but that he left the matter entirely to my judgment, but pointed out that, if I could but maintain myself for another fortnight, the winter would be at hand when the passes would be blocked with snow, and Marmont could no longer think of invading Portugal in force. As it is now more than a month since that letter was written, and certainly further reinforcements have arrived, I think the chief will be well satisfied with what we have done. I have sent off two letters since then, fully reporting on the work we have been at between Burgos and Valladolid, but whether they have reached him I cannot tell. McWitty has one dispatch for you. He tells me it came nearly a fortnight ago, but that he had, at the time, been compelled to fall back behind the Esla, and that as the country beyond swarmed with parties of the French cavalry, he thought that no messenger could get through, and that great harm might result were the dispatches to fall into the hands of the enemy. Well, I dare say you will keep, Dick, and that no harm will have been done by my not receiving it sooner. Now tell me all about your escape. Were you lodged in our old convent? I had no such luck, Terence. I was in the city prison, in the centre of the town, and my window, instead of looking out into the street, was on the side of the courtyard. The window was strongly barred, no civilians were allowed to enter the prison, and I think that even you, who have a sort of genius for escapes, would have found it, as I did, simply impossible to get away. No, the lookout was certainly bad, and you had none of the advantages we had at Bayonne of being guarded by friendly soldiers. If I had, at Salamanca, not been able to make friends with a Spanish girl, well, tell me all about it. Ryan gave full details of the manner in which Don Gonzales had contrived his escape. That was well managed indeed, Terence said. Splendidly done. Leon is a trump. He ought to have been born an Irishman, and to have been in our regiment. I don't know that I can give him higher praise than that. On their arrival in the valley, 
they found that another courier had returned half an hour before. Both dispatches expressed the commander-in-chief's extreme satisfaction with the manner in which Terence had carried out his instructions. The employment of your force in cutting the main road between Valladolid and Valencia, and between the latter place and Burgos, while at the same time you maintained a hold on the country south of the Duro, thus blocking the roads from Salamanca both to Zamora and Valladolid, was in the highest degree deserving of commendation. The garrisons of all the towns named were kept in a state of constant watchfulness, and so great was the alarm produced that another division followed that of Duro, that such paralyzed Bormond. As snow has already begun to fall among the mountains, it is probable that he will soon go into winter quarters. Your work, therefore, may be considered as done, and as your position in the mountains must soon become attainable, it would be well if you at once withdrew all your forces into Portugal. Morass also received a dispatch signed by Lord Wellington himself, thanking him warmly for the services he had rendered. I may say, sir, that yours is the first case, since I have had the honor to command the British force in the peninsula, that I have received really valuable assistance from a body of irregular troops, and that I am highly sensible of the zeal and ability which you have shown in cooperating with Colonel O'Connor, a service which has been of extreme value to my army. I must also express my high gratification, not only with the conduct of the men under your command when in action, but at the clemency shown to French prisoners, a clemency, unfortunately, very rare during the present war. I shall not fail to express to the central Spanish authorities my high appreciation of your services. I have given orders to the officer commanding the detachment of British troops at Miranda that, should you keep your force together near the frontier, he will, as far as possible, comply with any request you may make for supplies for their use. Morass was highly gratified with this dispatch. I shall, he said, stay in this valley for the winter, but I shall not keep more than a hundred or a hundred and fifty men with me. The peasants will disperse to their homes. Those remaining with me will be the inhabitants of the towns, who could not safely return, as they might be denounced by the Spanish spies in French pay, as having been out with me. We have plenty of supplies stored up here to last through the winter. Terence at once sent off a report of his return, and an acknowledgment of the receipt of the dispatches from headquarters, and the next day, in obedience to his orders, marched with his regiment across the frontier and established himself in Miranda. The answer came in five days. It was brief. On the receipt of this, Colonel O'Connor will march with the regiment under his command to Pin Hill, and there report himself to General Crawford. Terence had ridden over the afternoon before to the valley, where he found that but two hundred of the guerrillas remained. Fifty of these were on the point of leaving. The rest would remain with morass for the winter. On arrival at Penhill, after three days' marching, he reported himself to General Crawford. The general himself was absent, but from the head of staff he received an order on the quartermaster's department. Tensford's men were at once given him and a spot pointed out for their encampment. Six regiments were, he heard, in the immediate neighborhood, and among them he found to his great joy were the Mayo Fusiliers. As soon as the tents were erected, rations drawn, and a party dispatched to obtain straw for bedding from the quartermaster's department, Terence left Harara and the two majors to see that the troops were made comfortable, and then rode over with Ryan to the camp of the Fusiliers. They were received with the heartiest welcome by the colonel and officers, in whose ranks, however, there were several gaps, for the regiment had suffered heavily at Fuentes de Orno. 
So you have been taken prisoner again, Terence, Captain O'Grady exclaimed. Sure, it must be on purpose, he did it. Anyone may get taken prisoner once, but when it happens twice, it begins to look as if he was fond of French rations than of French guns. I didn't think of it in that light, O'Grady, but now you put it so, I will try and not get caught for a third time. We heard of your return, of course, and that you had gone straight with the regiment to Miranda. We had a line from Dickie the day before he started, and mighty unkindly have thought it that neither of you has sent us a word since then, and you, with nothing to do at all at all, while we have been marching and counter-marching, now here, and now there, now backwards, and now forwards, ever since Fuentes to Orno, till one's legs were ready to drop off one. Give someone else a chance to put on a word, O'Grady, the colonel said. Here we are, all dying to know how O'Connor slipped through the hands of the French again, and sorrow a word can anyone get in when your tongue is once loosened. If you are not quiet, I will take him away with me to my own quarters, and just ask two or three men who know how to hold their tongue to come up and listen to a story. I will be as silent as a mouse, Colonel dear, Grady said humbly, though I would point out that O'Connor, being a colonel like yourself, and in no way under your orders, might take it into his head to prefer to stop with us here instead of going with you. Now, Terence, we are all waiting for your story. Why don't you go on? Because, as you see, I am hard at work eating just at present. We have marched twenty miles this morning with nothing but a crust of bread at starting, and the story will keep much better than luncheon. Terence did not hurry himself over his meal but when he had finished, he gave him particulars of his escape from Salamanca, his journey down to Cadiz, and then round by Lisbon. I thought that there would be a woman in a Terence, O'Grady exclaimed, with a soft tongue and a presentable sort of face and impudence enough for a whole regiment. It was easy for you to put the calm heather on a poor Spanish girl who had never had the good luck to meet an officer of the Maya Fusiliers before. Sure, I have always said to myself, that I was ever taken prisoner, it would not be long before some good-looking girl would take a fancy to me and get me out of the French clutches. Sure, if a young fellow like yourself without any special recommendations except a bigger share of impudence than usual could manage it, it would be easy indeed for a man like myself, with all the advantages of having lost an arm in battle, to get round them. There was a shout of laughter round the table, for O'Grady had, as usual, spoken with an air of earnest simplicity, as if the propositions he were laying down were beyond question. "'You must have had a weary time at Miranda since you came back, O'Connor,' the colonel said, with no one there but wing of the 65th. "'I don't suppose they were to be petty, Colonel,' Dr. O'Fullerherty laughed. "'You may be sure that they kept Miranda lively in some way or other. Trust them for getting into mischief of some sort.' There is no saying what we might have done if we had, as you suppose, been staying for the last two months of Miranda. But in point of fact, that has not been the case. We have been across the frontier and been having a pretty lively time of it. At least I have, for Dick has spent a month of it inside a French prison. What? the Major exclaimed. Were you with that force that has been puzzling us all, who has been keeping the French in such hot water, that, as we hear, Marmont was obliged to give up his idea of invading Portugal, and had to hurry off twenty thousand men to save Salamanca and Valladolid from being captured? 
nobody has been able to understand where the army sprung from or how it was composed. The general idea was that a division from England must have landed at either Oporto or Vigo, or that it must have been brought round from Sicily, for none of our letters or papers said a word about any large force having sailed from England. Not a soul seemed to know anything about it. I know a man on Crawford's staff, and he assured me that none of them were in the secret. A French officer who was brought in a prisoner a few days since put their numbers down at twenty-five thousand at least, including, he said, a large guerrilla force. He said that Zamora had been cut off for a long time, that the country had been ravaged and post-captured almost at the gates of Salamanca, and that communications had been interrupted and large convoys captured between Burgos and Valladolid, and that one column, five thousand strong, had been very severely mauled and forced to fall back. This confirmed the statements that we had before heard from the peasantry and the French deserters. Now there is a chance of penetrating the mystery, which has been a profound puzzle to us here, and indeed to the whole army. The officer taken seemed to consider that the regular soldiers were Portuguese, but of course that was nonsense. Beersford's troops were all with him down south, and as to any other Portuguese army, unless Wellington has got one together as secretly as he got up the lines at Torres Vedras, the thing is absurd. Besides, who ever heard of Portuguese carrying on such operations as these without having a lot of our men to stiffen them and to set them a good example? Terence did not at once answer. Looking round the table, he saw that, in place of the expressions of amusement with which the previous conversation had been listened to, there was now on every face a deep and serious interest. He glanced at Ryan, who was apparently absorbed in the conversation of watching the smoke curling up from his cigar. At last he said, I fear, Major, that I cannot answer your question. I may say that I have had no specific orders to keep silence, but as it seems that the whole matter has been kept a profound secret, I do not think that, unless it comes out in some other way, I should be justified in saying anything about it. I think that you will agree with me, Ryan. Dick nodded. Yes, I agree with you that it would be best to say nothing about it till we hear that the facts are known. What has been done once may be done again. Quite so, Dick. I'm glad that you agree with me. However, there can be no objection to your giving an account of your gallant charge into the middle of the French cavalry and the story of your imprisonment and escape. I'm sure, Colonel, that it will be a source of gratification to you to know that one of your officers dashed, single-handed, right into the midst of a French squadron. Ryan laughed. I'm afraid the interest of the matter will be diminished, Colonel, when I mention that the charge was executed at night, and that I was ignorant of the vicinity of the French until I rode into the middle of them. There was again a general laugh. I was on my way with dispatches from Lord Wellington, he went on, when this unfortunate business happened. That was unfortunate indeed, Ryan, the Colonel said. They did not capture your dispatches, I hope. Indeed, and they did, Colonel. They had fast hold of me before I could as much draw my sword. They, however, gained very little by them, for, knowing that it was possible I might be captured, the dispatches had been so worded that they would deceive rather than inform anyone into whose hands they might fall. Though, of course, I had instructions to explain the matter when I delivered them safely. Then he proceeded to give a full account of his rescue from the prison on Salamanca. This was listened to with great interest. It was splendidly managed, 
the colonel said, when he brought the story to an end. It was splendidly managed. Terence himself could not have done it better. Well, you were certainly wonderfully handy at getting into the scrapes. Why, you have both been captured twice, and both times got away safely. When I gave you your commission, Terence, I thought that you and Ryan would keep things alive, but I certainly did not anticipate that you would be so successful that way as you have been. I have had very little to do with it, Colonel, Ryan said. Now, I know that at Athlone, Terence was the ringleader at all the mischief that went on. Still, you were a good second, Ryan. That is, if that position does not really belong to O'Grady. Is it me, Colonel? O'Grady said in extreme surprise, and looking round the table with an air of earnest protest. When it was always lecturing the boys. I think, O'Grady, your manner of lecturing was akin to the well-known cry, Don't throw him into the pond, boys! At this moment there was a sound of horses drawing up in front of the house. It is one of the general and his staff, one of the ensigns said as he glanced through the window. The table had been cleared, but there was a sudden and instant rush to carry away the bottles and glasses to hiding places. Newspapers were scattered along the table, and when the door opened half a minute later and the general entered, followed by his staff, the officers of the Mayo Fusiliers presented an orderly and even studious appearance. They all rose and saluted as the general entered. I hope I'm not disturbing you, gentlemen, General Crawford said gravely, but with a sly look of amusement stealing across his rugged face. I am glad to see you all so well employed. There is no doubt that the Irish regiments are greatly maligned. On two or three occasions, when I have happened to call upon their officers, I have uniformly found them studying the contents of the newspapers. Your cigars, too, must be of unusually good quality, for their odor seems mingled with a faint scent of, what shall I say, it certainly reminds me of whiskey, though as I see that must be but fancy on my part. However, gentlemen, I have not come in to inspect your mess room, but to speak to Colonel O'Connor and he looked inquiringly round. Terence at once stepped forward and again saluted. The general, whom Terence had not before met, looked him up and down and then held on his hand. I have heard of you many times, Colonel O'Connor. General Hill has talked to me frequently of you, and not long since when I was at headquarters, Lord Wellington himself spoke to me for some time about you, and from his staff I learned other particulars. That you were young, I knew but I was not prepared to find one who might well pass as a junior lieutenant, or even as an ensign. This was the regiment that you formerly belonged to, and as on sending across to your corps I learned that you were here, I thought it as well to come myself to tell you, before your comrades and friends, that I have received from headquarters this morning a request from the adjutant general to tell you personally, when you arrived, the extreme satisfaction that the commander-in-chief feels at the services that you have rendered. When I was at headquarters the other day, I was shown the reports that you have during the last six weeks sent in, and am therefore in a position to appreciate the work you have done. It is not too much to say that you have saved Portugal from invasion, have paralyzed the movements of the French, and have given to the commander-in-chief some months in which to make his preparations for taking the field in earnest in the spring. Has Colonel Connor told you what he has been doing? He said suddenly turning to Colonel Corcoran. No, General. In answer to our questions, he said that, as it seemed the matter had been kept a secret, he did not feel justified in saying anything on the subject until he received a distinct intimation that there was no further occasion for remaining silent. You did well, sir, the general said, again turning to Terence. 
and acted with the prudence and discretion that has with much dash and bravery distinguished your conduct as however the armies have now gone into winter quarters and as a general order will appear to-day speaking of your services and i have been commissioned purposely to convey to you lord wellington's approval there is no occasion for further mystery on the subject the force whose doings have paralyzed the french broken up their communications and compelled mormon to detach twenty thousand men to assist at least an equal force in salamanca zamoro valladolid and valencia has consisted solely of the men of colonel o'connor's regiment and about an equal number of guerrillas commanded by the partisan morass i need not tell you that a supreme amount of activity energy and prudence united must have been employed thus to disarrange the plans of a french general commanding an army of one hundred thousand men by a band of two battalions of portuguese and a couple of thousand undisciplined guerrillas it is a feat that i myself or any other general in the british army might well be proud to have performed and too much praise cannot be bestowed upon colonel o'connor and the three british officers acting under his command all of whose services together with those of his portuguese officers he has most warmly spoken in his reports and now colonel i see that there are on your mess table some dark rings that may possibly have been caused by glasses these doubtless are not very far away and i have no doubt that when i have left you will heartily drink the health of your former comrade i just say comrades for i hear the captain ryan is among you which is he ryan stepped forward i congratulate you also sir he said colonel o'connor has reported that you have rendered great services since you were attached to him as adjutant and have introduced many changes which have added to the efficiency and discipline of the regiment my staff as well as myself will be very pleased to make the personal acquaintance of colonel o'connor and yourself and i shall be glad if you will both dine with me to-day and if you colonel o'connor will accompany them tomorrow i will inspect the minhole regiment at eleven o'clock and you will then introduce me to your lieutenant-colonel and your two majors who have all so well carried out your instructions so saying he shook hands with the colonel terence and ryan and with an acknowledgment of the salutes of the other officers left the room with his staff if a bullet does not cut short his career in some of his adventures he said to colonel corcoran who had accompanied him o'connor has an extraordinary future before him his face is a singular mixture of good temper energy and resolute determination there are many gallant young officers in the army but it is seldom that reckless bravery and enterprise are joined as in his case with prudence and a head to plan he cannot be more than one and twenty so there is no saying what he may be when he reaches forty trant is an excellent leader but he has never accomplished a tithe of what has been done by that lad the general having left the room the officers crowded round terence but few words were said for they were still so surprised at what they had heard as to be incapable of doing more than shake him warmly by the hand and pat him on the shoulder ryan came in for a share in this demonstration the colonel returned at once after having seen the general ride off faith terence he said if justice were done they would make me a general for putting you into the army i have half a mind to write to lord wellington and put in a claim for promotion on that ground what are you doing uncle Eddie? he broke off as that officer walked round and round terence scrutinizing him attentively as if he had been some unknown animal 
I am trying to make sure, Colonel, that this is really Terence O'Connor, whom I have cuffed many a time when he was a bit of a spleen, with no respect for rank, as you yourself discovered, Colonel, in the manner of that bird he fastened on the plume of your shuckle. He looks like him, and yet I have me doubts. It is yourself, Terence O'Connor. Will you swear to it on the testaments? I think I can do that, O'Grady, Terence laughed. You see, I have done credit to your instructions. You have that. I always told you that I would make a man out of you, and it is my instruction that has done it. How I wish, lad, he went on with a sudden change of voice, that your dear father had been here this day. Faith, he would have been a proud man. Ah, it was a cruel bullet that hit him at Vimera. Aye, you may say that, O'Grady, the colonel agreed. Have you heard from him lately, Terence? No, colonel. It is more than four months since I have had a letter from him. Of course, he always writes to me to headquarters, but as I only stopped there a few hours on my way from Lisbon to join the regiment, I stupidly forgot to ask if there were any letters for me. And, of course, there's been no opportunity for them to be forwarded to me since. However, they will know in a day or two that I have arrived here, and will be sure to send them on at once. Now let us hear all about it, O'Connor. For at present we have heard nothing but vague rumors about the doings of this northern army of yours, beyond what the general has just said. But first, Colonel, if you will permit me to say so, O'Grady put in, I would propose that General Crawford's suggestion as to the first thing to be done should be carried out and that the whiskey keg should be produced again. We have a good stock, Turnus, enough to carry us nearly through the winter. Then it must be a good stock indeed, O'Grady, Terence laughed. You see, the general was too sharp for us. That he was, but, as a Scotchman, he is naturally a good nose for whiskey. He is a capital fellow, hot-tempered and obstinate as he undoubtedly is. He is as popular with his division as any general out here. They know that, if there is any fighting to be done, they are sure to have their share and more, and except when roused, he is cheery and pleasant. He takes a great interest in the men's welfare, and does all he can to make them as comfortable as possible. Though as they generally form the advance guard of the army, they necessarily suffer more than the rest of us. By this time, the tumblers were brought out from the cupboards into which they had been so hastily placed on the general's arrival. Half a dozen black bottles were produced, and some jugs of water, and Terence's health was drunk with all the honors. Three cheers were added for Dickie Ryan, and then all sat down to listen to Terence's story. End of chapter 16 Recording by Charles Sapp